Welcome back to Space Castle. It is your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. My name's DT, and I'm the fuck. My name is Alex, and I'm Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm Dead Seth. Aww. <laughs> Dead Seth sounds like a pretty rad like rock band name, though. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd listen to him. Yeah. I can't believe you went there, DT. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, we're gonna have Dead Seth T-shirts made. That's it. That's gonna. Let's fuck go. I was gonna say this. This, uh, this just became a bit, and we're like two minutes. In, uh, two minutes. We're not even two minutes. We're like ten seconds into our podcast, and we made a bit. It's how we fucking roll in the space castle, man. It's how we do. It's it's just pure chaos the whole way through. <laughs> This is what happens when you're stuck on, you know, a, a castle floating through deep space with two of your closest friends. You just lose your fucking minds. That's how it goes. It's baked in. Yeah. You expect that, though. <laughs> but back on Earth, there's this weird sort of tradition and culture wherein nerds much like us gather in very large buildings to look and stare at nerdy stuff and purchase that stuff and listen to more famous, more rich nerds talk about the stuff that they're doing. These things are called conventions. I am going to lose my nerd card right now. I've never been to a convention before. I've never been to like Dragon Con or Denver Con or Phoenix Con or Emerald City. I've never been to PAX. I've been to CES in Vegas one time, but that was just staring at hard drives and flat screen TVs for eight hours. So Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> but I did see Jessica from Tech TV one time and Richard Karn, who played the sidekick on Home Improvement. So that was pretty cool. All right. At CES? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the weirdest fucking thing, but there was like fucking <laughs> Al Borland standing next to me, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, it's Al Borland!" Like, <laughs> I have so many questions. I was like, "Can I get your autograph?" And he was like, "I don't think so, Tim." And I was like, "My name's not Tim." Uh. <laughs> '90s kids. So everybody I know talks about cons all the time. They they go to conventions. A lot of other podcasters have got into the habit of buying tables and and spaces and booths at conventions and like hyping themselves up, which I think is dope. I've never been to a convention, and it's something I'm really curious about because I know you guys are very avid convention goers, mm -hmm. and I've got this preconceived notion of what a convention is, and I'm wondering if that preconceived notion is correct or accurate, or if I'm way fucking off, and if you guys can educate me on what a convention is, and if it's something I would actually really enjoy participating in. Yeah, dude, let's get into it. I've been trying to get you to join me at, at a con for years now, so like maybe this episode will finally do it. Maybe. Well, Seth is the one of the three of us that is going to be the one that's like, go, 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 go. COVID has put some breaks on that. <laughs> but Well, sure. It's more just like two goes. <laughs> I had the outside in perspective of like, I was a nerd for my whole life. And then in my adult life, I had never gone to con, right? I had never gone. And then I was actually at the convention center downtown in Phoenix for a work thing. Like the agency that I worked at was like hey, we want you to come and help and look how we can set up, you know, print ads for this incoming pharmaceutical convention or something like that. I was really there as a formality, just tagging along with the designer because he didn't want to go by himself. And they were like, yeah, you can go and help figure out copy that will fit on these designs or something. It, it was really like, I was just there messing around, talking with our pharma client. And, and then I remember we sat down in this uh, restaurant afterwards. There's nobody there because it's the middle of the day. And then I just see people walking by in like anime garb outside. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I think Seth started at the agency like that week or something or the week before. And I remember going back and starting to talk about it with this designer uh, when we got back in the office. And Seth was like, oh, yeah, I'm going there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and I was like, oh, are you dressing up like Inuasha as well? Because I'm I'm really confused about this and I didn't understand. Like I didn't get con. And Seth was like, look, it, it's got something for everybody. It's not necessarily just comic book fans or anime fans. If you're not into manga, you're not into you're not a, a like diehard Marvel comic book collector. There's still something at con that you're going to enjoy. And sure enough, I did my research because, of course, I'm going to take Seth at his word and I start digging into it. And holy shit, there are a ton of people there that I really want to see. I actually ended up finding out by digging into the rabbit hole that like three blocks down the road, there was a pre-con con with a bunch of authors called Eleven Geddon, where I got to go and just like chat with authors face to face about the books that they had been writing. And it was insane because in one fell swoop, I met Pierce Brown, Brandon Sanderson, Patrick Rothfuss, some of the like biggest names in fantasy fiction right now in sci-fi. Then they all went to con. It was amazing. It was like insane. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just gushing now. But basically, Seth really pointed me towards this. And I was like, I'm not going to go. And then I showed up. And you you understand once you get there. It is very much a thing that you have to, to go to understand. Okay, so let's get into that. Because my notion of conventions is... A bunch of people, whether they're cosplaying or not, they go to this big, large, gigantic building and they wait in line to get somebody's autograph or they wait in line to look at some merchandise or they, if it's an especially big con like San Diego Comic-Con, they wait in line to get the chance to see a movie trailer 12 hours before it hits YouTube. And my, my notion of conventions, and it's not deterring me from going, but my, my idea of conventions, and please correct me if I'm wrong and fill me in on the details if I am wrong, it feels to me like a bunch of people just waiting in line for eight hours for like five to 10 minutes of like elation and like satisfaction and then waiting in line again. And then it feels like Disneyland where like it's an hour and a half in line for a three minute ride. And yeah, you got, you got the photos and you'll have the memories forever, but you've also spent like eight hours in line waiting for that thing. Because like you see like the videos on YouTube of like people meeting like Elijah Wood and he seems like a super affable, fun guy and like he takes a lot of fun photos. But there's that video of Matthew Lillard that went viral where he's you know at his booth, he's at his table and he's signing autographs. He's getting everybody there the attention that he feels like they deserve. He's trying to give everybody like this unique experience to make them feel like they got something for waiting in line for so long to meet him, which is fucking dope. He seems like a rad guy. But you can see off to the side of this video where he's like taking pictures with like girls and like doing like the fucking traditional like prom photo gags and whatnot these people waiting in line just looking completely horribly fucking bored and frustrated out of their <laughs> minds like looking at their watches and cell phones and shit and that's what i imagine conventions as being is just like standing in line forever being bored so you can meet a celebrity who was in a movie 20 years ago get a photo with them be super amped up about it for about five minutes and then just go on with your life when you're not looking at like swords and shit you want to buy that are way too expensive and will put you in credit card debt. So am I wrong about this? Is that what conventions are? Or is there more like festivities and activities and things to do? Is it a spectator sport or is there more audience participation to what I think? So right off the bat, in general, you are wrong about that. Okay, good. It is not a spectator sport. However, there are some caveats here. First, we're talking about general Comic-Con. We're not talking about like anime con or more specific ones, right? Just like Book the gen- con, yeah. Yeah, the, the general Comic-Con style Comic-Cons. Second, it's a spectrum, right? So cons like San Diego are so big that they are basically wait-in-line simulators. It's yeah. what you described, yeah. Yes, it, like the, the, the horror stories of what you described. And part of that is because of people like Matthew Lillard 
who give the fans care and attention and tell stories and stuff like that. That's part of the problem is because that means that the thousand people that are waiting in line have to wait way longer because he's telling stories and stuff, which is, you know, both good and bad, depending on your perspective. Yeah, that video just went viral of Joseph Quinn, who plays Eddie Munson in Stranger Things, about how the convention staff was really, really fucking like mean to him because he was taking that extra time with everybody. And apparently they put the poor dude in tears because all he wanted to do was just spend time with these fans. And the convention staff was like chewing him the fuck out. Damn. And there's this video of him doing a panel the next day where he was doing a Q&A with fans. Oh, I saw that. And there was one lady who was like, we heard what happened to you. And like, we're really fucking sorry about that. Like, you're a wonderful human being and you've, you've brought so much happiness to everybody. And the dude is up on stage and he, he just starts fucking crying. Like, he just felt so validated and so like relieved that he was doing good by the fans. And it was the convention staff that was totally out of line and wrong. That is a very common theme. Because the most of the time, staff at like Comic Cons and, and various conventions aren't Comic Con staff. They work for the convention center. Mm-hmm. So one, they don't give a shit. But two, their whole job is to make sure that the ten thousand people in line get through the line before the doors close. Mm. That's it. You telling stories means that like their job gets harder. So like it, it's a weird dichotomy, and I personally think that there's lots to be changed there. But suffice that to say, there is bad parts of con. And I think most of the bad parts of Comic-Cons come the from body their odor. scale. Oh. No, that's actually <laughs> not usually that, that big of a deal. It's really not bad. People understand hygiene these days. Yeah. <laughs> they don't understand boundaries, though, sometimes. I did have one experience where I was going down an escalator and somebody was coming up another escalator. And this man grabbed me on my arm. and like One of those prank things? His hand went down my entire arm and, and he gave me come hither eyes. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Uh, that was almost certainly for like a prank video or something. Yeah, you're on YouTube somewhere getting harassed by this guy in an escalator for sure. But uh, boundaries is, is a problem. For sure, sometimes. Well, people feel very free to be themselves there. And I think that there's this really wonderful part of that. But then there's also this kind of like, oh, you might be taking it a little bit too far. Oh, uh, like Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, like Disneyland. Uh, but I think that a convention is what you make it. Absolutely. So you can go to Disneyland and you can ride Space Mountain 40 times if that's your jam. If that's all you want to do, you can do that. When I went to the first convention that I ever went to at Phoenix, what I really wanted to do was just talk to authors. And then maybe go into one of the sort of big main event panels. I can't remember uh, who. I think it was Alan Tudyk was who was was one of the bigger names that was there. And we went and saw him. But there is that thing, right? Like part of the group of people that I went with wanted to go and do signings and take photographs. And I was like, I don't want to pay for that. I don't want to sit in a line. What I wanted to do was go to panels and listen to authors talk about their books. So I spent my entire con. I went for the entire event the whole weekend. Every day I went. And each time I would be in the panels talking to these authors before and after about their stories, asking them very specific questions, got to the point where they were recognizing us in the hallways like, hey, where are you? Are you guys going to go to the next one? Which was awesome because those are the people that I, I went to see. And because it was this sort of smaller microcosm of con and not the like main event thing, we were in back rooms of this convention center, but I got to have awesome conversations with these authors. So there was an event called Drinks with Authors or Drinks with Creators. It became, and then they kind of concatenated that with a poker tournament. But ultimately, it started with this event called Drinks with Authors where you go and you just kind of mill around, but you can just, this cash bar, Mm -hmm. and then you can just like chat with authors. So like some of my favorite authors to date, Scott Lynch, Victoria Schwab, they were there talking, just milling around, shooting the shit, talking about their books. I got insights into the next five books that Scott Lynch is going to write. 
The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is a book that Victoria Schwab wrote. It was like 37 weeks on the New York Times bestseller. Damn. And three years before she released that book, she was at that con talking to me and like four other people about this idea she had about a girl who falls in love with the devil, which was rad. Is that not a little dangerous though, sharing your ideas like that? Or do you think they already have like copyrights and shit on those ideas before they actually start producing the books or? No, it's a mentality. Yep. So like Seth can speak to that a little bit more, but basically many authors who are successful think ideas are cheap. Ideas are cheap. Ultimately, what you're going to say is, I don't care. Like, here's my idea. If you think you can write it better and faster and more effectively, get it published before me, go for it. Because ultimately you can't. Like, they've got an idea and they know how to make it work and they've been milling on it and they've been thinking about it for a long time. That's not the origin of that. But at the end of the day, the thing that they're trying to say is essentially, sure, you could write this story. It would be completely different than the story that I write. That's confidence though, man. Fuck. <laughs> the idea is not not the product. That's how it is in all artistic endeavors, though. From from YouTube to films to books, the idea is not is not the product. So that that's why you've got a billion different sword and sorcery fantasy novels. Right. Exactly. They all have like a the same idea, right? So go save the princess. But like, there's fucking a billion iterations of that, and they all feel wildly different. Christopher Polini. Just like nailed a launch of a new sci-fi novel years after Aragon came out. But if you read Aragon, it's just Star Wars. <laughs> it's the same story. And it's a wildly successful novel that he wrote when he was like 16. Particularly with, with things like books and films, it's like, say V. Schwab told me that idea and we both, we try to write the same book. They're going to be different. It's her voice. It's her style. It's her word choice. Like that is what makes up the actual product, right? So like. Sharing ideas is really not that big of a deal. And also just like, I think the setting lends itself to that. They open up a little bit more about the projects that they're working on. Definitely. And I mean, Seth has cooler con stories than me, which is why I'm kind of capitalizing the time in the beginning because he's got really <laughs> awesome con stories to get to. But I think about Jim Butcher, who's a very well-known fantasy author. He does Dresden Files, his urban fantasy, and he was one of the guests of honors from the literary track that year. And he got to his panel early, like 20 minutes early, just waiting for people because it was like, whatever, this is my job and I'm, I'm here to be the guest. So I'm going to go and sit down and just answer some questions or something. And instead of like, like awkwardly just him sitting there on his phone, people are filing in to this room, this ballroom in this convention center. And he starts telling the story about a fight that he got into in a bar in Texas yeah. before a con. It was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, it was great. And, and it's, it was just like these little kind of like fun side stories are what make the the conventions like amazing for me. And I'll go back every time just to see authors. I did have that experience that you described, DT, where there's a really long line. It was to see Adam Savage. Mm, yeah, I can see that being a long ass line. It was a long line. It wasn't an, it wasn't two hours long. It was like 35, 40 minutes. Okay, see, I could totally do that. It's the people who wait in line for like 12 hours at San Diego Comic-Con to see a 30-second Star Wars Mandalorian trailer or some shit like that. Like, uh, No. Yeah. No, I waited to meet Adam Savage, got a picture with him with one of my best friends, got a chat with him for a couple of, you know, like, I don't know, not very long. It's only a 20, 30 seconds that you get to take a picture, have a chat, yeah. say, hey, I really liked your book. And then you move on. But for somebody like Seth, for instance, who like made uh, Seth, tell tell us about your experience <laughs> with Adam, because you you not only got to ask him a convention in a ballroom full of like thousands of people and have him see your Martian helmet, but like, oh, it was so cool. I was more hyped for you in that moment than I was for myself waiting to meet Adam Savage. 
That's good, man, because I was just anxiety-ridden. I couldn't feel the hype. Long story short, I built a replica of the motion helmet. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you can see it in the background of our pregames. It is really fucking cool. It's immaculate. I've <laughs> seen it in person, and it's just... It's dope. Movie quality, fucking prop quality. It's nuts. I've had it on my head. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, guys. Patreon.com slash SpaceCastlePod. <laughs> yeah. Shameless <laughs> <Get laughs> plug. <laughs> okay, look. Adam, he signed the helmet, and I'm going to get a bunch of people to sign it. But let's get a little bit back on track. This isn't an episode just about con stories. Maybe we'll do that someday, but this has a point, and I want to talk about it. Conventions have a couple of different aspects. Your author signings, right? When you stand in line, wait to get them to autograph a picture or helmet or whatever. Then you have your like photo opportunities and trailer releases and things like that. Then you have panels, which for me are the bread and butter of Comic-Con. But then you also have like floors, the storefront floors and the exhibition floors. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple different aspects. The worst parts of Comic-Con are the ones that you described, ET, are the other waiting in line to see a Power Rangers actor who doesn't want to fucking be there or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. That's that's like the worst aspects of con. But most of the time, that's not how it actually is. It's probably fucking Rocky from the, the fucking movie. <laughs> that poker tournament I talked about, he was there. We'll swap con stories at some point, I think. We have so <laughs> much good shit to say. Most of the time, you will want to go to a mid-level con. Most of the problems that I see with Comic-Cons are because they're the size of Disneyland. Like yeah. when you're at San Diego or Las Vegas Comic-Con, New York City Comic-Con, there's three or four in the country that are too big, in my opinion. They're just, they're too big to do anything useful now. But mid-level cons like Phoenix Comic-Con, which I think is perfect because it's just big enough to attract like big names and big ideas and big panels and things, but it's small enough to still feel intimate. That's where the magic is. For example, you've got Panels, which I think are the best parts of Comic-Con, those are things like authors talking about what makes science fiction good. They're kind of a lot of the same theme as, as, as this podcast. It's just people talking about dope shit in like a cool setting. So like you've got actual instructional panels of like famous cosplayers teaching you how to make this kind of cosplay or just in the instructional ones, right? How to, how to do this particular kind of art or how to get started in the comics business or whatever. Then you've got the types of panels that are just pure fun, which are my absolute favorite. And those are like, like the, uh, the all bards panel. Yeah. Okay. All bards is, is a author D and D game where they just like live play a quick session of D and D, but they all have to be bards and they can't engage in combat. Shit like that is just a blast. Those are the best ones. Cause you get to see like your celebrity people that you know, are like Pierce Brown. Someone who I admire deeply and who makes art that I appreciate, you get to see them just fucking shooting the shit, having fun, like being part of this like small, semi-small room of, of people just having a good time playing games or whatever. And that's, that is where the real magic of con is. Here's what it is. Comic-Con is the opportunity to be a part of an us that does not require a them. It's a group together just being together and doing cool shit. It's a community. Conventions are like, you get to see all of your internet friends in real life. Like it's just the community and you get to show off this cool costume you've been working on or you get to accidentally bump into Nathan Fillion and have a chat on the floor because he's waiting in line to get a hot dog or whatever. Like that shit is the best part of con. Uh, Nathan's hot dog, hopefully. No, I wish. Uh, that did happen to Seth though. 
He's skirting <laughs> over it right now, but he got to chat with Nathan Fillion. Yeah, you just you just bump into people. And I, this happened most recently with Justin and Sydney McElroy here in, in Seattle a couple months ago or whatever. I was just on the floor looking at art and literally accidentally take a step back and bump into Justin and be like, oh, hey, like, what's up? <laughs> I liked your panel earlier. It was super funny. Like, how, how are you enjoying con? Like, you just get to like chat with these people because they're just walking around con looking at art just like you and... Did you tell him, hey, McElroy, Space Castle's coming for you? <laughs> DT, I am not an aggressive human. <laughs> like, and that is a very aggressive statement. <laughs> so, okay. So panels, I think, are the best parts of con because they're just fun. And it's the kind of thing that can only really happen at con. Like you can get an autograph feather places. You can look at people's art online or whatever. But like the panels are a thing that can only happen at con. Cool. There's two sizes of panels. You've got a small and a large size. The small is for things like authors, you know, semi-famous people, large panels for people like Adam Savage or fucking the cast of Star Wars or whatever. Those are like large panels. When people that wait in line, you know, eight hours to get into a thing, they're not waiting to see a Star Wars trailer 12 hours before the YouTube release. They're waiting to get into a, a two hour long panel to discuss the future of Star Wars announcements of the cast that got cast q a and then at the end they show the trailer like it, it's like a whole thing and those are like large panels those are are really really awesome because they're extremely behind the scenes usually but it's also access to people or celebrities or filmmakers or whatever that you don't normally have access to like you don't normally get to you know go sit in a line in front of a microphone and wait 20 minutes and then stand up and be like hey thanks for making dune i really fucking love it what was it like to become a filmmaker and you just don't get the opportunity to do that any other place hmm. and you get awkward questions from people who just go up and they're like you're my hero and i don't know how to which is fine like because they're nervous yeah i've seen a video of assholes who like pull their girlfriends up and like propose to them in front of their fucking celebrities at panels and shit it's weird yeah and you get some of that but that's a spectrum. Right. But then there are other times where you're talking and you're listening to Adam Savage talk and then you get to see Seth go up and ask, uh, hey, take a look at my, my helmet. Oh, that one episode of Mythbusters where you made like a, a raft out of duct tape and bubble wrap or whatever. What happened behind the scenes in that? And he was like, oh, nobody ever asked about that. And you don't get that on Tested. You don't get that on, on this, that, and the other thing that Adam Savage does. So you just get this sort of like small tidbit of behind the scenes information which is really cool i had been wearing the martian helmet but i asked adam what has been going on with the martian suit because they were allowed to borrow the actual screen used costume from the martian sony productions let mike ippolito and norm and adam photograph deeply photograph this, this whole suit and they made a video on tested several several years ago that showed like, hey, we're taking pictures, like, let's look at a little bit of it. And then they're like, we're going to make a suit. And then like three years goes by and we don't hear anything. Occasionally on Twitter, it'll be like, yeah, hey, we're still working on it. Or Mike is still doing this thing. Or like, we're still working on it. And I got to be able to go up and ask like, hey, how's the motion suit? Like, we're waiting on it. Like, how's it going? And he's like, yeah, it just gives you some stuff that you can't just like say in public. He can't tell you like, oh yeah, Sony took the suit back because they weren't happy about whatever this person said like, like you just it's an opportunity to be behind the scenes with creators that's cool and it's great you've got panels then you've got autograph signings like for example i've made a as perfect a replica as i can feasibly make of darth vader's helmet 
And what I'm doing is I'm getting, trying to, the entire cast while they're still alive to sign Darth Vader's helmet for me. Oh, fuck. So uh, most of the people who are waiting in line for autographs aren't just going to buy a headshot off the table when they get to the front of the line and have them sign it. Like they're signing custom artwork or completing a collection of signatures or I... I found a 1978 poster reprint of A New Hope. Like, can you sign it for me? So when I hang it up in my house, it's got Mark Hamill's signature on it or whatever. Like, it's it's more sentimental stuff, usually. So the signing is still, like, super important. And, like, there's long lines for, like, a picture with Stan Lee at, at Phoenix Con, which took, I think, like, two hours to get through that photo line. But, like, it was the last con he ever went to. Yeah. So like, can you imagine getting a photo with Stan Lee for the la- the last opportunity? Yeah. Comic Con is a space to get together and do things that you do not have opportunity to do any other time. Yeah, it is totally what you make it, and I think like the floor where your people are selling things, like the vendor floor, is it's incredible. You're not going to find a better place to buy gifts for your nerdy friends. Oh mm. man, certainly bought both of you things from Con. Oh yeah. Definitely. Some of my favorite t-shirts I got out of like a mystery pack that I bought for like 20 bucks. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's like, I think actually DT, I think you ended up with one of those. There was a Star Trek one that was like Cthulhu or something. Oh, it was the Mr. Sulu, but Cthulhu. <laughs> yes, it was like that's it. Cth- yes. Cthulhu or something. Oh, I've still got that fucking shirt. It's great. And I've got one that says Rebel. That's the Atari symbol, but it's a X-Wing that's f- f- flying up through it. Oh, that's fucking rad. Nice. Yeah. So you can't find that online. I've looked for things like that before, but you're going to find them on the floor at con. I've also talked with people who've like started up a side hustle, a block down the road for making dice in my hometown in Colorado. The creators of ElfQuest, which is something that I grew up reading. One of the first graphic novels that I ever participated in was something that my parents passed down. It was just on the bookshelf. And I was like, this is cool. And I met the creators of that, that were just like, they're selling prints of their entire cast of characters. And I was like, this is insane. And I, they just chatted with me. I didn't buy anything. The floor is something that could occupy all of your time. You could go to con and just people watch and have a great time. Absolutely. It is what you make it, right? So what I learned immediately was that like, here are a couple panels that I wanted to go to, but otherwise I wanted to mill around and do whatever. And because of that, the con experience for me was I got to meet super awesome authors, super awesome creators, see dope shit on the, the exhibition floor where they like remade the Mos Eisley Cantina from scratch giant lego constructions that you'll never see in real life makers making cool shit cosplayers that just go absolutely balls to the wall and then you also get the experience of just like if you want to take a break like okay go over here there's a room where people are just playing with legos here's a room where they're teaching you how to fight with a lightsaber and it's mostly for kids those kind of things but they have functions for all of that or here's this retro gaming room where you can go and And go and pump stomp kids in a halo tournament (laughs) have a proper pub stomp I also did a Super Smash tournament and missed out on like a $500 prize because I got smacked by a 13-year-old who really, really, really good at Ganondorf. But like, <laughs> but it was so fun. Like you just sign up like, hey, I want to participate in this. It's like, it's totally free, but we're going to give you a dope prize afterwards if you win. And it's just to promote the game, promote their entertainment business. And it's right next to the Dark Horse comics book. So while you're tooling around waiting for your round to begin, you can kind of like poke around and see what's going on. Floors are generally split into two you've got the vendor exhibition hall and then you've got like an artist alley sort of thing which is for small creators or whatever so like the vendor hall is for dark horse comics or twitch or whatever 
big, huge booths and things like that for doing whatever. Sometimes it's like shows, sometimes it's demos, sometimes it's just a, a big company selling a lot of shit. But then you've got like Artist Alley, which is generally separated, but is for small creators, artists that are just like, you know, just did a, a zine or something, then they're trying to get their name out or they make pins or whatever, like just small, small artists. I've been trying to get a, a, a booth at Emerald City for my dice. And that's exactly the kind of thing I would do is like a, like an artist alley level booth, like just a small little table, basically set stuff out and talk about it and sell it and all that stuff. And I think those are some of my favorite things. Like I, I go to con every time with an art budget specifically because I know as soon as I hit artist alley, I'm just going to buy so much fucking art, man. There's so much cool art, <laughs> yeah, it's like so excellent rad. prints and dope t-shirts and like people making like hand bound books and just cool shit that you're not going to be able to find anywhere. Like shit I have hanging on my walls, the art, all that stuff I bought at, at an artist alley convention. Like I have a silkscreen printing of Rivendell that is not only made by the artist who works for, for Weta because Weta had a booth that year, but the artist who drew the concept for Rivendell for Peter Jackson also hand printed with a lithograph their fucking concept art onto this canvas. It's sick. And it's numbered. It's like, I don't know, one of 78 or something like really limited printings, but like, I'm not going to be able to buy something like that online. I'm only going to be able to be like, Hey, this is really cool. And the person's like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I actually, that's, I did this. I'm, I am the, the concept artist for Lucasfilm and Weta workshop. Sweet. Let's talk about your fucking art for three hours. <laughs> Great. And it's those people. And then you get also the people that are like, I just make like fan art. Here are these mosaic tiles that I made that represent the four nations. There's an artist who I really love who makes pins. They kind of have blown up a couple of times online, but they make like Aztec art versions of like Halo or Legend of Zelda or whatever. Oh, I've seen that stuff. Yeah. I saw it back when I was still on Reddit. Yeah. So fucking rad. At least at the time, it was a couple, uh, a guy and girl couple who just like drew the shit in their living room. It was like, hey, people might like this. And they started making like prints and coasters and pins and stuff. And like, I've bought a bunch of their shit. That is some of my favorite parts of con is like you get to meet really fucking cool artists doing really fucking cool art that is just not available anywhere else. A lot of the artists, a lot of the like, I would say mid-level, like semi-large artists, that's all they do is just travel with cons and sell their art. They do not have like an online presence. They don't do art for video games. Like th they just do cons and that's it. And they're there for networking and meeting other artists to, for giving out their information so that people who go to con maybe don't have the funds right now, they can go back and buy their stuff online. I mean, a lot of it is promotional. So you get that sort of fair mentality where somebody is promoting their thing. Like from the, from the book perspective, I, I think it's clear that I like spent a lot of time around the authors and the books uh, specifically, but there's an imprint there called Del Rey. They were giving out free books every like three hours. So I, I walked out two days into con with a stack of like 10 free books, all of them signed by the authors that were there. You also get like arcs a lot of times there, advanced reader copies of like, uh, I have an arc of, of Spinning Silver from Naomi Novik that I got to get and read like six months before the book came out just because like the booth was giving the books away. Yeah. I've got a galley copy that's like got a fun picture on it that Pierce Brown drew. 
of Red Rising, which is just bananas. Plus this poster behind me, which patrons will be able to see. Patreon.com slash Space Castle Pod. <laughs> <laughs> they just had hanging up in the wall because they're like, hey, here are all the books that we're promoting. And, you know, I was like, hey, is anybody like, are, what are you guys going to do with those afterwards? And the people at, at Dog, like, are the editors for these books. Trisha Narwani was like, um, yeah, we're probably just going to toss it. I was like, can I have it? And they're like, yeah, I'll just write your name on it in the back. And then at the end of the con, like we went over and I've got this poster. I've got one of Republic of Thieves from Scott Lynch. Yeah. And I remember this moment of like waddling with these under my arms and turned to <laughs> like cardboard posters. Praying yeah. there's no breeze in the parking lot when you're trying to get to your car. <laughs> yeah. I turned the corner and see Seth and he's like, what is that? Where did you get it? And how do I get one? I killed Pierce Brown and I've defeated him in combat and I took it from him. <laughs> I have a bunch hanging in my hallway too. That's rad. I think you've got the Dark Age one, right? I've got Dark Age and I've got like the 40th anniversary Star Wars book. I've got Age of Myth. Yeah. Age of Myth. Yeah. I've got, I've got a bunch. It's the end of the con circuit and like we're just going to toss them because we don't need these anymore. And it's like you just take like six of them. Who cares? Yeah. So I took this poster to go see Pierce Brown the next time he was in town and he's like, oh, you're one of the lucky ones. Because apparently this same corrugated cardboard poster thing was at a signing that he was at. And there was a couple of parents that were like fighting each other to try to get one of these for their kid. That's crazy. <laughs> I was like, I, if I was there, I'd just give it to them. But um, it's cool. So I've got it now. I've got this dope poster that's signed by Pierce Brown just hanging up in my office, which is rad. Little tiny things, those promotional things that happen at, at cons. It's insane. Not only do you get to meet really f fucking rad people, like that's where I met. V. Schwab several times now, but to get her, for example, to sign an entire collection of her works is unbelievable. So like now, not only do I have a limited edition version of her entire published works, but they're all signed and like personalized and be like, yeah, thanks for coming. Like, it's great to see you again this year or whatever. Like, it's super, super cool to just like have the opportunity to sit down and talk with authors or, or artists or whatever about their work. It's fucking rad. DT, you'll listen to Seth and I ramble about this for, for days and days and days. So are there any other questions before we move on? No, I, I just, I feel like when Space Castle is big enough and famous enough to have our own panels and show up at comic conventions, I'm going to have a good time. Is what you guys are saying. Definitely. It's not going to be just waiting in line and all that boring shit you see on YouTube. It's actually like a community event. It's a mm -hmm. really cool experience. You get to meet cool people. And now I'm excited. It's great. Should we practice? Should we have our own little con here on the Space Castle? Where, uh, first of all, Alex just pub stomps the shit out of me in Halo. And then I walk <laughs> over to the other side of the room and I wait two hours to get Goldblum's autograph. Should we, should we try that out just to get me acclimated? Hey, man, look, I can set that up in our VR experience if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. In the meantime, though, we've got messages from Earth we've got to get to. We'll take a listen to those and we'll come back with our listener question and our Deep Space Recon. Hey, guys, this is Dan the GM welcoming you to the promo of What the Dice. What the Dice is an actual play RPG based in Pathfinder. Very much a homebrew, but this story will get you hooked. It's all about heroes, encroaching darkness, and forgotten gods, all wrapped up in a strange little bubble. Follow us on Twitter at WhatTheDicePod and on all major streaming platforms. I have a question for you guys. Does anybody else want to get in on this hot, sweaty, awesome, sexy action? 
Because I feel like it's just me sagging myself every week now. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to seg Seth this week. Did we write that onto this? Did we write that onto the, the segsy time schedule? Can be a hard pass on both of those fronts for me, friend. If you sent me a sexy time schedule, I definitely did not open it. <laughs> yeah, that's that is an immediate delete email. Thank uh, you. <laughs> might be filtered out at this point. Yeah, not not getting those. <laughs> <laughs> Emails from DT where it's like sexy time with like eight eyes and like the winky face, like blowing the heart emoji next to it. You yeah. know what I'm realizing? We're so deep into the sexy time that people don't even realize that it's it's a play on segue to our deep space. Right, it's a segue. Like, yeah. They don't even it, know that that's what it's about anymore. <laughs> we're so deep on our own fucking lore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm way into sexy time. Yeah, you have a whole special room about it. We know. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, I do printouts of all of these and I reenact them later. Yeah, it's great. You guys don't even want to hear my Alex voice. What? <laughs> what? I told DT if he wants to do an authentic version of his room in VR, he's got to learn how to 3D model and do it himself because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's fair. That doesn't need to be seen by the public. It really doesn't. No. I'm not even the public. I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, I believe you've got the Deep Space Recon, yes? Yeah, I've got the deep space. I've been out there exploring, guys. Tell us all about that shit. My deep space this week is a YouTube channel. I don't know if you know what this is. It's like a website for video. This channel is called This Glorious Clockwork and is basically a animated explainer channel about like complicated parts of like your body or of, of biological systems. It kind of has like Kurzgesagt vibes. If you ever wanted to know like how proteins actually do the like deconstruction and digestion and assembling of other proteins and stuff in your body or like how DNA works, actually, this channel is for you. The explanations are so perfectly written. They're very easy to understand. The videos are, you know, 15 minutes or so on average and beautifully animated. The one that got me into the channel is an explainer on like how fluoride actually makes your tooth enamel stronger. Like how does that actually happen? Oh, did you guys have to do the fluoride swishing when you were in grade school? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like your parents signed you up for that? Yeah, I have actually, I have genetic problems with my teeth. My tooth enamel is really weak, so I, I have like high fluoride toothpaste and stuff. I was just going to talk about how me and my friends would always just try to make each other laugh while we're trying to swish. So it became a game of just like sitting there and swishing with your eyes closed and your hands over your ears so nobody can make you math, make you laugh and spit your fluoride all over your desk. Did you guys ever have that mouthwash that had the, the little like dosage cup at the top? So you just like squeeze the bottle and it like filled the little cup. Oh, yeah. At the top? Yeah. I'm glad Alex knows what I'm talking about. This isn't a fever dream that I had. <laughs> totally. It's a 90s thing. Anyways, this YouTube video explains how that works and how like. How does photosynthesis like actually functionally work? So do they do one on how the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? The mitochondria <laughs> being the powerhouse of the cell is like plot point four of basically every one of these videos. <laughs> so what you're saying is <laughs> I needed it for AP bio is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> do they explain how our bodies convert sunlight into vitamin D? Because that's always been a weird mystery to me. Yeah, kind of. So they have a video entitled this chemical steals sunlight to power all life on earth and it is a animation and explanation of how 
light gets turned into energy in in bodies. It's great. Dope. I'm sold. It's very well written, very well thought out. The videos are phenomenal. Absolutely love it. It's called This Glorious Clockwork. Teachers, now they don't have to feel guilty about putting on TV for their kids. <laughs> for real. You know, you got stuff like this in SciShow. Like, you just, yep, there you go. Today's movie day. <laughs> but we've actually got these dope-ass videos that you can check out that are actually educational. But if you're going to play YouTube in the classroom, you got to be real fucking careful about what's on your fucking algorithm because you don't want to play one of these... <laughs> This glorious clockwork videos, and all of a sudden the next video is like a bunch of like eighteen year olds twerking to Blimp Biscuit or some shit. Or maybe you do want that. Maybe you do. Yeah. Maybe you want to shift from uh, an example of how you know our bones are made of calcium, and then go right to uh, Final Fantasy VII remake with Tifa's breast physics shot up to like eleven. <laughs> You're going to learn about two things this day, kids. <laughs> Don't tell your parents. Look, look, look. Okay. So to give some real advice in this podcast for the first time ever, if you're a teacher out there, use an incognito window, friend, for everything. Always. It might be worse, though. Oh. The random algorithm's not as, not as bad as some weird rabbit hole that you stumble down. That's a that's a crapshoot. I feel like I've I've catered my algorithm pretty well that I wouldn't feel so sketched out about it. But here's the thing now is like if it's a random YouTube algorithm that shows something funny, that's just funny for everybody because everybody knows that that's just YouTube being weird, not you being weird. Uh, fair, fair. Yeah, the specificity, I guess. Yeah. This glorious clockwork. If you're ever curious on how like little aspects of the body like actually really work, because we hear all the times like fluoride strengthens your teeth. Like, okay, great, but how though that this channel tells you an important question here do they go into centaur anatomy or oh I mean, no I'm... no that's still our niche man don't give them any ideas <laughs> that's a space castle <laughs> exclusive that's the video that comes up afterwards <laughs> <laughs> cool man i just subscribed thank you so much for sharing that that's awesome yeah they're criminally undersubscribed too to be honest they have like nine thousand subscribers it's it's ridiculous nine thousand and one hey <laughs> right we got a listener question you guys ready for a listener question oh yeah baby this one actually comes to us from dan the gm from our good friends over at what the dice podcast it's right. an actual play podcast you guys should absolutely check out dan's a fucking awesome gm he's been a friend of the podcast for a long time he actually called in he called you into 1-970-591-3577 seth before i play this question before we answer this question do you want to tell the people how they can send in their own questions for us to answer? Spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com or at Spacecastlepod on Twitter and Instagram. Send us all your shit. Tell us all your shit. Send your con stories because that's actually one that I want to I hear. I want to hear your con stories. Yeah. Tell us all the weird shit that's in your YouTube algorithm too, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just give us your favorite con moments. Let's stick to that. Okay. <laughs> Hey, my spacey friends, this is Dan the GM over at What the Dice. I have a question for you. Seeing that most of the world right now is hotter than re-entry, what is your favorite frozen drink? Be it Slurpee, Icy, or any of those other strange off-brands. If you had to pick, which one would you drink? Me, personally, you got to go with the Slurpee. It's got that perfect mix of ice to air, and it's got that nice sweetness to it. What do you guys think? Wow, Dan, what a great question. Really important question to be asking. I think <laughs> I think an icy Slurpee. 
Very much a good answer. If you asked me a little while ago when I was spending more time in movie theaters, I would have said that for sure. I think now it's probably a frozen Mai Tai. <laughs> nice. There's a restaurant here called Hula's in the in the valley, and Hula's is a like a tiki bar. They they've turned into a sort of pseudo chain, which is unfortunate, but they do a wicked awesome mai tai that is strong, uh, made with some Appleton's rum and some dark rum. And uh, oh boy, I drink less these days, but ooh, oh, I could go for a mai tai. That's probably my my pick. I don't know. It's not. It's it's just pretty boring, straightforward answer. But yeah, Seth, what do you got? I grew up in Phoenix. Uh, so ICs and, and Slurpees and Slushies are all kind of part of the mix, depending on what convenience store you're nearby. I get them a lot. I also grew up as a gamer, certified MLG gamer, nerf for nothing. Uh, <laughs> but I also grew up as a, a punk skater kid who did uh, gymnastics and parkour too. So like, I've got a lot of things. Now, this, all, this is relevant. Okay, so <laughs> growing up this way, I spent a lot of time outside, so I, I wanted cold refreshments and i spent a lot of time gaming and shit so i i I had a high caffeine diet from a very young age (laughs) my favorite frozen drink and i have not had one in years one because i don't live there anymore but two because it's really bad for you there's a large convenience store that's all around the country uh but also in arizona called qt quick trip quick trip qt has a slushy version of their in-house energy drink called Rooster Booster. <laughs> the, a Rooster Booster slushy is the best. Oh my God. What a deep cut. I love it. Yeah. So like it's got a, a billion milligrams of caffeine. And what's cool is like they have like a fountain and like the slushy machines right next to each other. So they have Rooster Booster like from the fountain as well. So what you do, pro tip, you fill your vessel of choice, your cup, three quarters of the way with Rooster Booster slushy. And then you go to the fountain and fill the rest of it with regular Rooster Booster fountain drink because the slushy tends to be too icy and not enough energy drink. So (laughs) you've got three quarters icy slushy energy drink and then you top it off with regular energy drink and it makes the perfect like partially frozen mixture it's the best and also like i i fucking survived on that shit (laughs) you can also mix in squirt too instead of the rooster booster fountain you can do squirt from the fountain as well and get like this delicious mix like i got i got the recipes guys i got a pro tip for you if you ever need to overdose on caffeine i've got i got the tips (laughs) if if you're 14 and you want to experience a heart attack Yeah, we wired for for about approximately sixty seven minutes and then crashed hard. <laughs> awesome, that's my jam, dude. A, a weird rooster booster energy drink slushy mix thing. My classic response would probably be like a like a frozen margarita or like orange Julius. I don't know if you guys ever had orange Julius. I've never it's had an orange great. Julius. It's like orange flavoring and dairy and egg if you do it right. But if you add a splash of like rum or something, it's fucking amazing. But uh, the best frozen drink I ever had was one I made with my my best friend growing up, Nick. And uh, I, I was known for just like spending weekends at Nick's house because, you know, he had all the consoles and he had a truck and like we can go out and do stuff. And his mom was super cool and laid back. And uh, one time she was going to go out of town and uh, Nick was like, just come over. We'll have a bunch of friends over. We'll hang out. We'll watch fucking movies, order pizza, and we'll drink liquor from my mom's liquor cabinet. And I'm like, I've never drank liquor before. <laughs> and uh, we were... 
of course, of drinking age at the time. And we had no fucking idea what we were doing. So we start with the hard stuff. We're like, no, this is fucking terrible. We're uh, of perfectly legal drinking age. We, we don't like vodka yet, though. <laughs> so we got this stupid fucking idea that we're just going to combine a bunch of shit. We're just going to like mix and match and see what we like. Oh, no. Oh, no. So we, we got rum and vodka and tropical Kool-Aid and a splash of Baileys <laughs> and all kinds of stupid fucking <laughs> no. shit. Probably oh ketchup and mustard. I don't remember. <laughs> you animal. <laughs> the thing is, we're like, okay, this this needs some ice. So we take all this fucking trash and we put it in the blender and we blend it with ice. <laughs> and for some reason, I don't know why, it was fucking delicious. <laughs> oh it was amazing. God. And we got a little inebriated. We watched some funny movies. And it was great. We got to come up with a cool fucking name for this drink that we just made. It's fucking genius. We're going to write down the recipe and make this every weekend. Drink it forever. And we decided we got to call this stuff man juice. <laughs> That's the man juice. best worst name ever. <laughs> so fast forward to me several months later, I'm at an AMC theater, which is right next door to like a Starbucks. So my weekend thing in high school was to go and see a movie with a bunch of my friends and then go hit up Starbucks afterwards to talk about the movie, joke around. Oh, you were in high school really late to be of drinking age in high school. Uh, yes. Uh, I, they held me back like eight years <laughs> yeah. because of legal reasons. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm in the Starbucks with all my buddies after seeing this movie. My buddy AJ had this drink that he always ordered. It was half Tazaberry, half citrus with like a shot of espresso or something. And then you mix it with cream. And I was like, that sounds really fucking weird. I'm going to try one too. So I get this drink and I sit down and I'm in a circle of my friends and I drink this and I'm like, mm, this tastes just like man juice. Nailed it. <laughs> and I got the weirdest fucking oh, looks yes. from all my buddies. I got the weirdest <laughs> fucking look from the very, very cute barista. You and your man juice. Is this why you're so hung up on segueing? Maybe. <laughs> I think we know what's on the shelves in DTC room. <laughs> it's just bottles and bottles of man juice. <laughs> jars and jars of it. It's got some some serious whitest kids you know energy, and I'm here for oh, it. I'm going to get a t-shirt made that says, may contain man juice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't do that. I think that might do it for this episode of Space Castle. As always, it's your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. If you're liking what you're hearing, you're a weird motherfucker, but please share this podcast with a friend because we'd really appreciate it. We're just trying to grow this community. We're having a blast doing this. It's always more fun when you have more friends. And leave a review for us. Whatever podcatcher you happen to be listening to us on, we love Apple, Spotify, and Good Pods. And you can follow us on Good Pods too and see what we're listening to as well and discover even more awesome podcasts. We want to thank, as always, our good friend Brian Lovett for co-writing our theme song, These Notes, These notes? which you're currently enjoying. Uh, you've also been currently enjoying me. My name is DT, and I may or may not be full of man juice. I'm definitely not full of man juice, but I've been Red Wine Alex. And by that, I mean Red Wine and Snatch Alex, part-time librarian, Winnebago Thief, Inverse Batman, King Killer Dude, Centaur Biologist, Bison Basher, Master and Space Commander, all talk talk. And I've been Dead Seth. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I, I hate the man juice shirt idea that's no good that's that's not good <laughs> may contain man juice is the worst thing that's ever been said on this podcast Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> bye love you <laughs>